0: This month's mailbag episode will speak in particular to what was this month's most popular episode, which was real estate investing with Matt Argesinger. Oh, don't get me wrong. If you're not into real estate, we have items speaking to which industries to avoid, an inspirational story from a fellow Foolish Investor, a retelling of one of my favorite stories, the Five Monkeys story, and other foolishness to boot. But Many of you had more questions for Matt Argusinger, and so he joins me midway through to speak to you. Through you. Wait, those rhyme. Which reminds me, we'll have a poem or two. So, roses are red, violets are blue, this month's mailbag is here for you. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. <music>
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Full co founder David Gardner.
0: Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. If you are in the United States of America or if you care about us, happy Thanksgiving to all my fellow Americans. We will be sharing some thanks a little bit this week. It's not front and center, it's not themed, but you know what? It will be in December because last year I had fun. Opening up December with my Gratitude 2020 episode. And I thought, you know, there are some new and unique things to give thanks for in 2021. And so in mid December, we'll do Gratitude 2021. That will be full of thanks and thanksgiving. But in the meantime, I hope your week, fellow Americans, is replete with thanks and thanksgiving. Gratitude is good for all of us, it's as good for the giver as it is for the recipient. Always worth keeping in mind. And I do want to express gratitude for the month that was. We had three podcasts in November of 2021 preceding this mailbag. The first was Real Estate Investing with Matt Argersinger, a topic we don't touch on very often, which is why, in part, I think it touched off a bunch of notes. And we'll take some of the most relevant ones. And Matt will be joining me in a little while to speak right back to you and your questions, fellow fools, about real estate investing. We had two other podcasts this month. The first was Stock Stories, Volume 6. We talked about Chipotle, Rollins, Stitch Fix, Zillow, and NVIDIA. So yeah, Stock Stories in the middle of this past month. And then last week, it was a review of Palooza, in particular, sending off one of my five-stock samplers to Fulhalla. It was five stocks that got trouble. Five stocks that averaged, by the way, gains of 253% as a group since picked on this podcast just three years ago so far exceeding any expectations i would ever have it was a delight to go through all three of those five stock samplers and while i am conscious it sometimes sounds like bragging as we go back and review the numbers years later i try to make it as much about learning because why the stocks have done what they've done is really the important takeaway you and i should have most of these five stock samplers have beaten the market Many have crushed the market. We also have some clunkers occasionally. Yeah, I'm looking at you, five stocks for the age of miracles, which I am already dreading reviewing in April of next year. So yes, sometimes you do need to lose to win. Well, as is our want, we're going to start this mailbag off with some hot takes from Twitter. I've got three of them for you This particular month. One comes from at Mark underscore Ansems. Mark, you wrote, learned lots on the Rule Breaker podcast this week. Thanks, David and Matt. One quick note Canada also has a very healthy self storage industry. Mark adds, it does exist outside of the US. You know, Matt and I were talking about how Americans have a lot of stuff. And I'm particularly aware of that as I look around my own house near the end of this year and start seeing things piling up in the corners. I haven't had to entertain as often in 2021 or indeed in 2020 as I did years before that. And sometimes I've allowed piles to form in my house. I'm alarmed by that, but I think it's not just me. It might even be an American epidemic, a second epidemic, epidemic of stuff. And we talked in that episode about how the self-storage so-called industry is a pretty big one here in the U.S. And we wondered aloud, does it exist in many other places in the world? And Mark assures us that it's very healthy in Canada as well. In fact, Mark closes by saying he's held Storage Vault Canada, which I presume to be an investment, probably a REIT, for several years with great results. Thank you, at Mark underscore Ansem's. There was a lot of talk of Spiffy Pops throughout this month, and that's because we had a bunch of them. And if you don't know what the word spiffy pop is, if you're new to this podcast or the to the Motley Fool, feel free to Google it. You'll read and understand. I'm not going to go back over it. I'm just happy to say, talk about gratitude. We had some amazing moves on the stock market, especially stocks held by many fools over many years. And truly it's a pleasure to see how many of you had your first Spiffy Pop or your umpteenth spiffy pop. And I particularly enjoyed this note from Oliver Varenholt at O. Varenholt on Twitter. Oliver writes, I remember jogging in Parque Via Lobos in Sao Paulo, listening to the Rule Breaker podcast and at David G. Poole explaining the term spiffy pop. Only later I got to really understand the power of this seemingly simple concept. Oliver writes, it's the math of patience. And today he wrote... I had my first thanks to the trade desk. Well, I particularly underlined that tweet this month because I really enjoy hearing how people listen to the podcast, and I love being able to picture a little movie in your 140 characters or less, and I can see you jogging in a park I've never been to. I've never been to Brazil, Oliver, but thank you very much for sharing that. It's nice to know that this phrase spiffy pop is not just confined to the Motley Fool or to the United States of America. It is going global. I sure hope the math of patience, as Oliver Varenhold says, is going viral or at least becoming a little bit more contagious than before The Motley Fool showed up. So spiffy pops galore in the month of November. And finally, from Twitter, well, I'm not going to read any given tweet, but I received many ratings for Rick Engdahl's performance as my producer for the sound effects that he brought to our Stock Stories Volume 6 I I personally thought that Rick had outdone himself, but I put it out to you, reminding you, before you gave your 0 to 10 rating, where 0 was horrendously bad, and 10 is, Rick is a sound wizard, I asked you for your honest rating of Rick's performance, but I did remind you in the same tweet that Rick is very, very sensitive. Well, I'm happy to say, that's with my tongue in cheek, I'm happy to say Rick got solid 10s from everybody. He got 111 outstanding performance, Rick. You outdid yourself for Stock Stories Volume 6 this year. Thank you, sir. On the trail. All right. Well, we have nine Rule Breaker mailbag items for this mailbag this month. So let's get started. Rule Breaker mailbag item number one. This one comes from P.T. Lathrop. Hi, Fools. I'm sorry to be the most pestery fan, PT writes, but it's your fault. Stop being modern day superheroes. Too kind. I want to write a bunch of context, but I'll channel my inner Nathan Alderman and get on to the point. I'm going to pause it right there. Nathan Alderman is an incredibly talented longtime Motley Fool employee who helps many of our contract writers be more brief. And so P.T. Lathrop is referencing Nathan. A lot of you would not know Nathan's name, but now you do, and I'm glad you do, because what a wonderful fool who for years has helped our writers write better for you. He's touched many, many lives through his work, and thanks for calling him out there, P.T. You go on. Do you have any industries you just avoid no matter what? I do, says P.T., and I think it's a very capital F foolish approach. Of course, we want diversification, but unless I see a major paradigm shift or Unless I become a trader and not an investor, I avoid at all cost, he writes, retail, airlines, things that are too tied to commodities such as oil or mining. That's a very interesting list. Retail, airlines, and things too tied to commodities. Nobody should think exactly like me, PT continues. We keep it motley. But are there any industries, and you can go as broad or specific as is true for you, that you, David, avoid entirely? I think this is an important element to our performance. Choosing the places to just ignore can really help outperform the average. Thanks as always, P.T. Lathrop. Well, that's a fun one to open up with. And I'll say that in general, I'm a for person, not an against person. As I've said many a time, mirroring my friend Roy Spence. I'm a four person, so I don't too much sit in judgment of various aspects of other people or our culture or parts of our economy. I'm not a hard guy to please. In general, if you're doing something legal, which is pretty important to me, if I think it's wholesome and good, I'm thinking about how I'd like to invest in you. I don't make long lists of the things that I think are bad. With that said, you're right, PT, nobody should think exactly like me Or you or any of us, we keep it as you said, motley. And that's a phrase we use, of course, all the time around the motley fool, keeping it motley. Motley being the garment that court jesters wore centuries ago, that patchwork quilt, that ragtag, funny, harlequin looking garment worn by many a fool. That is the technical meaning of the word motley, but we've always used that to think in terms of diversity. At The Motley Fool, we have a wonderful new chief diversity officer, Rachel Williams, who just joined us from Google X, where she was in a similar capacity. Rachel's pretty amazing, and she understands the importance of the word motley. And for us in particular, we encourage all of our writers to think for themselves as they write articles about stocks. And just because I might like a certain stock or it might be my biggest holding, it doesn't mean that anybody else at our company, whether it's an employee of ours or a contractor of ours nobody has to agree with me. We think we're a much stronger company as a result. We hope you want to do business with us because we do have independent viewpoints. And And while it's certainly true that my brother Tom and I agree on most things, it's always interesting where we would disagree or where you and I might disagree, P.T. Lathrop. So let me just give a short list of things I typically do avoid, and I'll explain why in each case. I typically do avoid tobacco companies, I just don't like the smell of cigarette smoke. I wish it weren't anywhere near me whenever I'm in a public place. And from a familial standpoint, we've lost a few family members over the course of years because of, I think, their addiction to tobacco. I mean, it was social and glamorous to smoke back in my mother's day, but it sure didn't do good things for her health long-term. I don't say that with any particular animus or bitterness. In fact, my mother loved smoking. And so for her, I would fill her portfolio if I could have with tobacco stocks. It makes sense for her. That's why I think for all of us, we should be making our portfolio reflect our best vision of our future. What are the things that you love? What are the things that you believe in? I don't happen to love or believe in tobacco. So you've never seen me pick one of those companies uh, for Stock Advisor or for Rule Breakers. On the other hand, I should mention, I do pick alcohol companies. You'll see Boston Beer, Sam Adams. You'll see Bud. You'll see others. I like a glass of wine. And while I've never smoked marijuana and have no plans to do so, I'm totally open to cannabis. I've always thought that cannabis should be legal. I'm glad that it's increasingly legal these days. And while it's not part of my culture or interest, That's okay with me. Here's one thing I guess that's not okay with me in closing. You've never seen me pick a casino stock or a so-called gaming stock. So businesses that specifically make money, in my mind, based on the ignorance of others, I have not much interest in. I hope you as a fellow fool would understand that. We're trying to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. And games that are zero-sum, where the house is always going to extract its pretty penny, leaving the regular players of those games poorer and poorer the more they play the game well, you can imagine I'm not going to be a fan of those businesses. I'm not going to recommend those companies and you know it's not to tar and feather casinos. I've spent a good time myself in casinos. I have nothing personal against gambling. In fact, I always thought it should have been legal and increasingly sports gambling, is legalized. I'm looking forward to doing an episode in the new year about sports betting because I feel like it's an important thing to speak to. A lot of people are doing it these days and I have no problem with that. But do I want to recommend the companies that make money very directly on other people's ignorance of math and sometimes their addictions losing money? definitely not. So you've never seen me recommend those kinds of companies, but I'd be the first to say, if you love yourself a good day at the casino, that that might well be the right stock for you. So thanks for giving a quick opportunity for us to share the importance, I think, of thinking for yourself and making your money match your own actions and your beliefs in this world. Thank you, P.T. Lathrop. All right, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number two. This one's from Troy Mackey. Troy, a pleasure to make your e-acquaintance or your pod acquaintance anyway, because you reference a story that's one of my favorite stories that I'm going to retell. I'm going to retell it in advance of reading your mailbag item because you're riffing on that. And I think it's important to put that story out there first for all of our listeners who may never yet have heard the five monkeys story. So, here's the five monkeys story as I've told it many times before, including on this podcast. But it's one of those things I do about once every year or two. So, many will not recognize the importance of the five monkeys story. So, let me tell it right now. This is a psychological experiment that may never actually have been conducted. So, in that sense, it would just be a fable, or maybe it did happen. But I think we'll all appreciate the moral of the story. So, here it is start with a cage containing five monkeys. In the cage, hang a banana on a string and put a set of stairs under it. Well, before long, a monkey will go to the stairs and start to climb towards the banana. Now, as soon as he touches the stairs, this is what those conducting the experiment do, they spray all of the monkeys with cold water. As soon as that monkey touches the stairs, all five monkeys get sprayed with cold water. Monkeys, by the way, don't like being sprayed with cold water. Well, after a while, another monkey is going to make an attempt with the same result. All the monkeys are sprayed with cold water. Well, pretty soon when another monkey tries to climb the stairs, the other monkeys will try to prevent that monkey from climbing the stairs. So for our experiment, we're now going to turn off the cold water altogether. So no more cold water. That part is gone. We're going to do one other thing now at this point in the monkey story, the experiment. We're going to remove one monkey from the cage, and we're going to replace it with a new one. Well, the new monkey sees the banana and wants to climb the stairs, but to his horror, all of the other monkeys attack him. After another attempt and attack, he knows that if he tries to climb the stairs, he will be assaulted. Well, next we're going to remove another of the original five monkeys and replace it with a new one. Well, the newcomer goes to the stairs and is attacked. And the previous newcomer takes part in the punishment with enthusiasm. Again, we're going to replace a third original monkey with a new one. The new one makes it to the stairs. He's attacked as well. Two of the four monkeys that beat him have no idea why they were not permitted to climb the stairs or why they are participating in the beating of the newest monkey. Well, after replacing the fourth and fifth original monkeys, all the monkeys which have been sprayed with cold water have been replaced. Nevertheless, no monkey ever again approaches the stairs. And why not? Well, here's the moral of the story. Here's the punchline. In quotes, because that's the way it's always been done around here. Well, you can imagine I've always loved that story. I've told it many times in front of our Motley Fool employees or business talks I give the world outside. I've even seen somebody else's TED Talk once given about it. This story predates that TED Talk. This story is decades old. I first came across it a long time ago. I don't even know if it's true, but it's spiritually and experientially true, isn't it? And it reminds us of the killing power of the killing phrase because that's the way it's always been done around here. And especially those who love corporate cultures. We love ours at The Motley Fool. I hope you love yours at your organization. We look at others to invest for or against based on the cultures that we see at those stocks we're researching. Culture matters a lot. You can imagine how bad it is if people are going through the motions unproductively and they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. Well, that is the five monkeys story. And now I can share with you Rule Breaker mailbag item number two, which, as I mentioned, comes from Troy Mackey. And Troy just kind of has a riff, another version of this. I thought it was fun, though, so I wanted to share it. So everybody knows the Five Monkeys story now, but not everybody knows the Five Pubs story. Hi, David. I've come across a similar story to the Five Monkeys in a business literature book. The story goes like this. A brewery supply chain plan was as follows. Monday, pubs 25 kilometers away. Tuesday, pubs 20 kilometers away. Wednesday, 15. Thursday, 10. Friday, pubs 5 kilometers away. So on and so forth. So Friday basically is when they supply all the local pubs. Well, a new starter, a new employee at the brewery asks the supply chain manager, why do we do it this way? The supply chain manager says, I don't know. We always have. And the new employee then goes on to ask every person in the business until someone says, oh, Kevin, Kev, he's retired now, but he's going to be in today. Why don't you ask him? So the new employee asks Kev, and Kev says to him, well, we did it that way because the horses got tired during the week, so we needed to make their routes shorter by the end of the week. Needless to say, the brewery had upgraded to vehicles from horses many years before, but had never questioned if they were being most efficient. Troy Mackey concludes in his note to us, although this probably has no reality to it, it is something I always pull out, Troy writes, whenever someone says that's how we've always done it. So the points are the same it basically just gave Troy and me a platform to share with you all this concept of going through the motions and not asking why. So I think the world often needs, doesn't it, you or me to ask why? Why are we doing this way? Does it make sense anymore? Maybe we should try something different. And in a lot of cases, it comes down to understanding the origin of how we got to that place, whether it's cold water or horses in the first place. So really helpful to look backward to understand how to act better going forward. Thank you, Troy Mackey. All right. Well, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number three, but actually on to Rule Breaker mailbag items number three, four, five, and six. And for them, as already mentioned, I want to welcome back my friend, Matt Argusinger. Matt, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing.
1: Thanks, David. Glad to be back.
0: Well, you and I had a wonderful conversation about real estate investing, a topic that I've certainly undercovered in the seven-year history of this podcast. Because I think that was really the first time that we'd done a focused episode on your specialty and your subject. You and I have shared many hours before in this podcast, but not in your kind of new calling. Now, not everybody who's listening three weeks ago, Matt, could you briefly reassert who you are and what
1: you do at the Motley Fool? Sure. Well, thanks, David. Uh, I've let's see, I've been at the Fool almost fourteen years. And most of that time, uh, I've been an investor on our various services. I, of course, worked with you on Stock Advisor, Rule Breakers, Supernova, Blastoff. I think I named them all. Uh, but recent over the past few years, I did I did do a slight pivot. Uh, uh, the Motley Fool launched Million Acres, which is our real estate arm. And I've been able to kind of work on there, launch two real estate-focused investing services. And that was kind of uh, a really a great pleasure for me just because I've... I've made real estate investing kind of part of my, my personal investing strategy for over a decade now. And it's exciting to explore that asset class a little more with these two services we've launched. So uh, that's my story.
0: Thank you for that, Matt. And before we get into this first item, I just want to draw a parallel. I think I drew it three weeks ago. But, you know, it was such a delight for us to open up this whole new important category of investing that's always existed. I mean, for thousands of years, but not of The Motley Fool. We we started as very stock-centric in many ways. We remain very focused on stocks and certainly part of your real estate investing advice, Matt, are which are the REITs, which are the good tickers we should be following. You and I played a game to that effect a few weeks ago to understand this industry, but it was a delight to have somebody who is passionate, so foolish, and knowledgeable about this really big category. Now, I think I was drawing a a parallel to venture capital investing, another thing the Motley Fool hadn't traditionally done, but for our chief financial officer at the time, Olin Douglas, to go over and lead our venture cap fund. Well, it's been exciting in the last few years at The Fool to watch us hit these big categories we hadn't spoken to before and have talented and wise, foolish people like you guys to lead us there. So thank you for that, Matt Argusinger. With that said, let's get into it here because Trevor Saloom wrote the following. This is Rule Breaker mailbag item number three. Hi, David. I really enjoyed your podcast on real estate investing with Matt Argusinger. My father was a successful realtor and developer for over 30 years and always impressed upon us the importance of real estate as an investment. Now, over the years, I've owned a few rental properties, Trevor writes, but as I got older, I decided to sell them and just buy REITs. Now, really quickly, not everybody knows that acronym. It stands for Real Estate Investment Trusts. They're basically kind of like stocks, a way to benefit, especially with good dividends from real estate properties that are being managed or owned. And you As a public market investor, a mom and pop investor like me, you can be part owners of it through REITs. So, those are real estate investment trusts. Trevor goes on I bought several before the pandemic, both residential and industrial. They declined over the last year, but now they have all gained nicely, especially the industrial REITs. Could you ask Matt? So, let me do that, Matt, to discuss the pros and cons of crowdfunding real estate as an investment compared to REITs. Thank you, writes Trevor Saloom. So Matt, could you discuss the pros and cons of crowdfunding real estate, which some people will remember from a few weeks ago, but some people are wondering what the heck is that as compared to real estate investment trusts?
1: Well, let's, uh, well, thank you, Trevor. Let's start with REITs because I think Trevor knows REITs well and, and I, I think probably more of your listeners are familiar with them. So Real Estate Investment Trust, uh, you you introduced them, David. They've been around for about 50 years, a little longer than that. And I like to think of them as sort of mutual funds of real estate. Mm. It, it's, it's a way to get exposure in a very liquid way to large portfolios of real estate. So REITs, you can buy and sell them just like stocks in your brokerage account. There's, they're they're tickers. You can buy and sell them. So they're very liquid, which is which is really nice. And what you do when you buy the average REIT is you, all, you immediately get exposure to a, a large portfolio, um, dozens if not hundreds of properties of really institutional quality real estate. This is really kind of your top of the line real estate, whether it's residential, industrial, as Trevor said, or uh, office properties or hotel properties or self-storage properties. There's all kinds of categories. And it's 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 a wonderful way to have, to have very liquid diversified investments in real estate and you mentioned dividends david so re- reits by law are forced to pay out 90% 90% of their taxable income to shareholders as dividends which is nice because not only as a shareholder do you get dividends and therefore regular cash flow on a monthly or quarterly basis you get to decide what to do with the cash flow that you get from the investment. In other words, you get the dividend and you could buy more, you could reinvest the dividend into the REIT, mm-hmm. or you could take that cash and invest it elsewhere. So it's kind of, it, it, in, in a way, it gives you the decision behind the investment, which I like. And REITs also have a really great long-term track record. Like I said, they've been around for decades. And most of the really top line REITs have done very, very well over time. So if you've had a basket of REITs in your stock portfolio, I'm sure that's been a really great place to be over the last you know, 10, 20, 30 years. So a wonderful track record and a great way to get uh, h- highly liquid exposure to real estate. Great
0: job breaking that down, Matt. You know, Before you go on, I want to mention there was a gentleman called Ralph Block who wrote a book called Investing in REITs. And Ralph was an early contributor to The Motley Fool. Now, he did write some articles for us, but he just started right there in our forums. I think it was back in our AOL days. He was right there in the discussion boards. Generously answering any question sent his way. He was basically a worldwide expert on real estate investment trusts. My brother Tom and I were so honored to have Ralph in our community. He's no longer living today, but a quick in memoriam celebrating Ralph Block and answers he gave to many fools about REITs. And Matt, you're basically continuing in Ralph's tradition as you break it down. So understandably, for all of us listening, and that's a great. I said stock earlier about REITs, and I guess, in a way, I mean, it's an investment trust, it's not really a stock, but it's a collection of properties. that was really well said so so that's those are real estate investment trusts now. Trevor is talking about crowdfunding. This is exciting. This is not as big or institutional. This is more emergent, but I know you spend a lot of your time here, Matt. Could you explain briefly what's happening in crowdfunding with real estate, and then I think Trevor wants a compare
1: contrast. Yeah, you got it, Trevor. And and by the way, David, thanks so much for bringing up Ralph Block. Investing in REITs is like a seminal book. I've read it like three times. Really? In fact, in fact, uh, the every new analyst who joins us on Real Estate Winners or or Mogul, the two services I work on, I have them read the book. So I Anthony Chavone is our our newest analyst over on Real Estate Winners, and I had him read. The, we read the book together, and oh, know, we so shared great. notes and had a good conversation. It's it's just a wonderful primer. On REITs. So I highly recommend it. Ralph Block, investing in REITs, if you want to learn more about REITs. But let's talk. So let's talk crowdfunded real estate. So this is a, a a relatively new way to invest in real estate. I'd say it's roughly the last 10 years that it's come about. And you can think of it almost as private equity, because it is private equity. It's essentially you have developers or what they call sponsors who are raising equity in the private markets from investors to develop. Properties to buy assets and and renovate them, uh, or just simply buy assets and and get the cash flow, just just like any person might do with real estate. Uh, but what it allows you uh, these entities to do is to pool a bunch of capital from individual investors uh, to make these these big investments. And from the advantage-
0: individual investors, and that's the key here, right, Matt? Because normally yeah. we would never have had access. We didn't. You and I didn't have enough capital to really be relevant in a bigger deal like this
1: no that's exactly right david i'd say 15 years ago if you wanted to invest in a you know a a large office building or hotel development or anything like that you had to come to the table with maybe half a million dollars you had to get you had to know someone you had to have relationships it's it the game has really changed in the favor of the individual investor with these pooled uh real estate capital uh Investments, and so that it, you know you can invest with as little as twenty five thousand. In some cases, as little as ten thousand or thousand hmm. dollars, and really get access to um, you know high quality real estate. And what what's really compelling, I guess, about crowdfunding real estate is that you can really pinpoint the asset that you're investing in and its location. So with a REIT, the beauty of a REIT is that you get instant diversification, but you're investing in dozens of properties generally across the country or, or throughout a region. With crowdfunded real estate, I can. Choose to invest in a a hotel in Chicago, a self-storage facility in outside of Washington D.C., you know, an office building in New York City. I can choose where exactly I want to invest and what I want to get exposure Hmm. to. So that that's exciting, and that generally will come with more upside potential. Now, there's more risk to that, but you know, because you're only betting on on one asset and one developer or manager here. But it also comes with, I think, more upside, and so. That, that can be really compelling to certain investors, especially who want to really pinpoint what they're investing in asset-wise within their portfolio. And then the other, the other big advantage, there are some tax advantages. I know we're going to talk a little bit later, I think, in this, in this uh, section about, about the tax advantages, but there are some specific tax advantages that crowdfunded real estate investors can take advantage of uh, that are also really beneficial. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that overview, Matt. Yeah, we we are. We have a few more, so let's get into those. But let me just say in conclusion, part of what I'm hearing you say, this is me mapping my own view of the world, so let me know if I have this horribly wrong, but (laughs) it's almost like crowdfunded individual properties are kind of like stocks. Like You're just picking that thing, that company, that building, that development. Whereas Real estate investment trusts are much more like funds composed of many different stocks. So in the same way that an individual stock, if it does really well or not, would probably outperform funds that hold that stock, you are taking on more risk but you also have more precision in terms of what you're investing in when you pick a crowdfunded property over a real estate investment trust. So I think I see it both ways. It's certainly going to be safer to have that real estate investment trust, but it could be more exciting and ultimately more lucrative if you have a good eye for it. And I think you do more than I, Matt. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like picking individual stocks. Fair?
1: It, it, totally fair. And I, and I would say there are a, f- a few more downsides, I think, to that. I mean, I think that's the exciting part about it. The downside is, unlike a REIT, your, your capital is tied up for probably several years at least. At least yeah. three, maybe longer. And so you're, you you got to think of it almost as a venture capital investment or private equity investment where you're giving your capital over and until the property is sold or refinanced or, or recapitalized, you're not going to really see any profits from your investment for for. You know, it could be several years, and so that it depends on the business model. But that that's generally something you have to understand with these these private investments. And I'll, I'll I will say this too, because the market is so new, uh, and I see this all the time: is that you know you've got a lot of developers and sponsors who are tapping this new crowd world. They're they're reaching out and connecting with uh, individual investors, and. It comes with a lot of paperwork, a lot of fine print, and what will often happen is indiv- individual investors are excited about this, they jump in, and they're kind of taken advantage of in a lot of ways. Where REITs have been around for a long time, there's disclosures that they have to make. There's managers, um, you know, again, they're forced to pay out ninety percent of their taxable income, hmm. so there's not much they can do to really, you know, uh, screw over their investors. Whereas a lot of these private developers, you know, can really take advantage of sometimes of individual investors who aren't as knowledgeable about private real estate as as they might otherwise be. Well, I'm
0: glad you said that, Matt. Now, I know you do provide through the mogul service, Million Acres. And by the way, um, for anybody who's interested in more, if you go to millionacres.com, you're going to see a lot more about what Matt's talking about, especially those who might be interested in pursuing some of the advice that we give here. But through your mogul service, you do provide viewpoints and you do recommend individual crowdfunded properties. But those are going to obviously be the ones that you feel are advantageous for us as mom and pop investors, and nobody's going to be taking advantage of the ones that we're recommending through Mogul.
1: That's exactly right. So we we score every deal we recommend, and we're always looking for uh, you know sponsors or managers with great track records, and uh, you know who have been working with individual investors in the past and have delivered good returns. Um, that's usually you know usually a deal is not going to get past us. You know we're not going to recommend it if it certainly doesn't. Doesn't least check those boxes. So it's
0: a great big world out there. You got to watch out for some of the sharks, but man, there's some beautiful things if you get to know the ocean. All right, Matt, rule breaker mailbag item number four. This one comes from Anand Khatri, and he says, Hi, David. It was a great discussion on real estate investing with Matt Argesinger. Traditionally, Anand says, real estate was only accessible to people with high net worth, but recent change, we just spoke to this, it's now accessible to individual investors, which you mentioned really well in the podcast. The one reason Anand says that he turned to real estate investing is because of the tax advantage. And you still have some decent and, in some cases, market beating returns in addition to those tax advantages. Matt, I know you referenced this earlier. That's why I wanted to go to this one next. Anand says when we invest in the CRE, that would be commercial real estate, we receive a K1 form at the end of the year, which is equivalent, he says, to the 1099 tax form. You can write off the loss when the property is under development tax filing will be a little bit different than the normal, but it will be worth it if you want to take advantage of this. Anand concludes, I think it's one of the hidden advantages in investing in real estate. Matt would know far better than I. I think it will be helpful for listeners if you'd cover a little bit more about this on the podcast. Happy investing in Fuland Anand Katri. Matt.
1: That's right. Well, Anand is exactly right, David. So one of the advantages of these crowdfunded real estate deals is that you're investing in what is a pass-through entity. In other words, the the gains and the losses that this entity produces uh, flows right to the investor via the K-1, or at least published in the K-1, as Anand pointed out. And the advantage there, of course, is yes, you can write off losses uh, from these investments. So if you think about a Let's say you're investing in a hotel development. well, the first few years that that hotel is being developed, it's occurring nothing but losses. you know it's got no cash flow, it doesn't have any hotel guests yet. and so while it's producing those losses, those losses show up on your taxes and you can use those losses to write off gains or profits from other passive entities. and that, that is key by the way. it's not as if I can take those losses and just write them off my, my normal income or maybe my, my stock gains. okay you can't do that. it has to come off. Um, other passive losses, but that is a nice thing. So if you think about it, you could stagger uh, several commercial real estate uh, or crowdfunded real estate deals. Some are in their earlier stages, some in their later stages, producing distributions and profits. You can use the losses from the one set of your investments to offset gains in the other uh, the cash flow you're getting in the other ones that are more mature mm-hmm. and you're not really paying taxes. On your real estate investments. It's certainly advantageous. And even the, the nice thing is that the property doesn't even have to be in development. A lot of properties, um, if you're buying an investment property, one of the losses that you can take is depreciation, which is a non cash loss. It's just the you're depreciating the, the real estate asset over a number of years. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, that depreciation, at least in the first year or two of a property's ownership, um, outweighs the cash flow. So you're also getting losses even if the property. Uh, isn't it in development? So it's it's a great point by Anand. This is one of the sort of hidden benefits of investing in um, in these private deals.
0: Thank you for that. And thank you, Anand, for sharing your own experience and reminding us to underline that. And Matt, thank you for explaining that further. Of course, we are not tax professionals, neither Matt nor I. I don't need to issue a Motley Fool disclaimer here. But for each of us, we have our own tax situation. So We just want to point out the advantage that is there and let each person decide based on what country they live in or what their own tax situation is, what makes sense for them. So let's go to Rule Breaker mailbag item number five. Kind of a quicker one here, Matt, but this is from Clifford Cata. Hi, David. Here's a question for Matt following his guest spot, talking about real estate. Like you, Clifford writes, most of my investments are in stocks, and that is definitely true of me. So yes, Clifford, you and I are that way together, my only real estate exposure is my home. He writes, and I bet he's speaking for many others listening to us right now Matt, and i don't have one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in cash lying around, says Clifford. I think the reason he he uses that number, Matt is because on the podcast we did together, we talked about kind of five investments at a minimum to start maybe twenty five thousand each, so He's doing the math saying, okay, so you're saying that I should have $125,000 lying around, those are his words, in order (laughs) to get started here. So he just goes on to ask you, Matt, would you suggest that most people sell off some of their stocks to diversify into real estate, or should he amass that much in cash in the next year or two instead of buying stocks? How much of one's investment portfolio should be in real estate, assuming the requirements to become an accredited investor are met. All the best from Clifford Kada.
1: Well, thanks, thanks, Clifford. And uh, so, if your first question: Would you? Would I suggest uh, selling off stocks to diversify into real estate? Uh, I would never suggest selling uh, because I just think when when you sell anything, you're you you have to be right twice, right? You have to be right uh, on on selling the asset, you know that's no longer going to be a really beneficial investment, and you have to be right uh, in what you roll those proceeds into. Uh, I would much rather. Suggest, and this is what I do with my own portfolio: is just, you know, make your next investment in your best idea. In other words, if your next best idea, Clifford, is a real estate opportunity, and and you've you have some cash and you're looking, to, you know, where to put that cash, that's probably where you should put it. And um, you know, uh, how much of your investment for, for portfolio should be in real estate? Such a tough question. And of course, I can't speak to your personal situation or risk tolerance. I'll just speak from mine, and that is. For someone who 's studied and invested in real estate for over a decade well over a decade now i 'm um, comfortable personally with having about fifty percent of my assets in real estate. Now that includes not only REITs in my brokerage account but also income properties that my wife and I own and manage, and also private commercial real estate crowdfunded real estate deals that we've 've spoken about. Uh, i know 50% is not going to be typical and i bet you if you talk to your your, your average financial advisor they would probably be somewhere in the 10 or 15% <laughs> range when it comes to real estate uh, fortunately i think that that attitude is changing a little bit i think people are coming around a little bit to real estate especially because it's so much more accessible today and i think they're looking back and saying you know rather than maybe the bonds or gold or commodities or i don't know crypto that i that i'm i have in my portfolio maybe i should make a little more room for real estate uh, going forward especially if I'm someone who's more interested in maybe income down the road for for retirement or things like that. So just some thoughts there Clifford uh, to help you along your way. Really appreciate
0: you sharing that Matt. I really I I probably could have asked you that on the podcast itself because it does seem relevant and you know here I am talking to my good bright friend Matt with whom I've worked for many years and I'm about 100% in stocks and 0% in real estate and <laughs> it's not to say that I'm doing it right or Matt's doing it right. It really comes in a lot of cases down to how you want to spend your time and where your expertise is and what are you trying to grow in or grow into. And I'm definitely at a rather advanced age of 55, not expecting I'm going to all of a sudden become a real estate magnet. That said, there are people listening to us right now, Matt, that probably five or 10 years older than I am that could get started today and really be happy they learned the trade over the next 25 years. So in the end, we're all kind of Going to do our different things, whatever makes sense for us. But I'm really glad to present your case, Matt, where you're about 50-50. And mine, I'm 100-0. There are a lot of people somewhere in between. And I, I'm just glad that they're getting to hear from us. And, you know, my zero isn't because I don't think these are good ideas, it's just because. I like where I am, what I've done. I don't want to sell stuff to do other stuff as you mentioned and you know I'm pretty passive as an investor, just trying to find rule breakers and hold them for long periods of time. So so let's keep moving, but that was a really good it's kind of really wasn't a real estate question, it was more about asset allocation and what makes sense for each of us. But Matt, I didn't know you were 50/50 and I think that makes a lot of sense.
1: I think that's great. I'll add that the fifty percent that's not real estate is pretty much all David Gardner stocks.
0: So, just throwing that out there as well. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and you know, uh, anybody who's studied this over time knows that some of David Gardner's stocks were Matt Argersinger's picks, and some of them have been spectacular. So, we're we're a big team here at the Fool. But thank you for that, Matt. Well, will you stay on for one final rule breaker mailbag item? Oh, you bet. Excellent, Matt. Well, let's do one more. Rule Breaker mailbag item number six. This one starts with hashtag I Beat David. Now, it reminds me that, Matt, when we had fun together three weeks ago, and for anybody who may not have heard that podcast and finds themselves interested by anything you've said in the last 15 minutes or so, Matt, I would say listen to the Rule Breaker Investing podcast entitled Real Estate I think it was actually Rule Breaking Real Estate with Matt Argersinger, although on my iTunes feed, it comes off as Breaking Real Estate with Matt Argersinger. But regardless (laughs) of, of, of what it's entitled, it was an excellent hour or so spent together. And you played a game where you flashed me 10 different ticker symbols and asked me, did I know the company behind it, all of them winning real estate investments of various calibers over the last umpteen years. That was fun. I didn't do so great. I think I got three out of 10. So we encourage people to say if they did better to go with hashtag I beat David. And that's exactly how David Kalanen's note here, rule breaker, mailbag item number six starts with hashtag I beat David. My fellow Dave goes on, David, it's not really fair that I beat you on the 10 real estate tickers given by Matt, as I've been a happy mogul member for the last two years. But the podcast motivated me to write a brief thank you to you and the Motley Fool staff. And I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, Matt, it is kind of a week of thanks and Thanksgiving, so this one seems to fit well into this week's podcast. David says, "I go back all the way to Duke Street as a Motley Fool member." That's what we first called our highest end service around ten years ago or so. So David has been obviously in and around the Fool for a good long time. David Callen writes, "I go back all the way to Duke Street as a Motley Fool member." I have loved all things Foolish, so I also joined Matt on Mogul and invested in Motley Fool Ventures. I mentioned Olin Douglas earlier, and 1623 Capital. That's uh, our sister hedge fund company with Jeff Fisher. David goes on, if there's an investment service created by the Motley Fool, I have joined in the fun. I just wanted to thank you and your brother, Tom, for having guided my investment portfolio all these years. I hope to thank you in person At a live event in the future. Side note: those will come again; they will be coming back. I'm very confident that next two years will not be like the last two years. Anyway, back to David's note. My two main podcasts are Motley Fool Money and Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks for creating my drive, time, enjoyment. I also share one other interest with you. David Callenham writes: my favorite baseball players growing up were Tony Oliva, Rod Carew, and Harmon Killebrew. He writes: I'm a little older than you. I had the pleasure of going to a Texas Rangers game with Motley Fool employee Jim Mueller when he came to Dallas a few years back. So, if you ever make it down to the Dallas Fort Worth area, I'd be honored to see a game with you signed David Callanan. That one doesn't have a lot to do, Matt, with real estate, but what it does have something to do with is the experience of being a fool. And I just kind of love the human element. He's obviously a Minnesota Twins fan, and I know a lot of our listeners don't even care about the Minnesota Twins, so we won't talk further about Tony Oliva, Rod Crew, and Harmon Killebrew. I know you're a baseball fan. You know those names, Matt. But what I kind of loved is, there he is. He's with us in the earliest days of our services. He's buying every new one. He's diversifying into real estate, venture cap, and hedge funds. He's going to baseball games with our employees. It just reminds me of the great joy that we have of building this, this community of fools over the years. Very actively, larger than ever before worldwide, and the fun that we've had. Does that spark anything for you, Matt?
1: Oh, it it, it sparks a lot of things. And and by the way, thank you, David Kellinan, for being a member of Mogul for two years, but also Montyful Ventures and sixteen twenty three Capital, and I'm sure other services. That's that's really extraordinary. And I think what David sparked to me is I he he mentions you know uh, wanting to say thank you in person to you at a live event in the future, and we just haven't been able to do live events for. Gosh, probably going on two years now. And that's a that's a real shame. And hopefully we can get back to that in uh, 2022 and, and beyond. But it made me think back to a live event that we did. I believe it was fall 2019. And this, it was our Motley Fool One event in Washington, D.C. And I wonder if David was there. Uh, and we were able to, after the event, or after the main event was completed, we were able to take uh, all our local members over to Nobu, which is, of course, the, the famed... Uh, Japanese restaurant. Yeah. There was, a, there, was a, there happened to be a, there happens to be a really nice one uh, a few blocks from where we were holding the Motley for one event. What was f- interesting about that is Nobu that particular Nobu right in Washington DC was actually a recommendation in Mogul a few months prior. So we actually we actually recommended or invested in the in the space, the building that that owns that houses that Nobu. And so not only were members, mogul members, joining us at this event, and doing we it, doing with the sponsor, they were many of them had actually invested in the restaurant itself, and we were there having an event, and it just made me think about how joyous that was, what a great evening that was. Uh, it was one of those rare events where my wife was able to come out because it just it happened to be in the evening, and and uh, um, her parents were visiting, so they could they could watch our our son who was less than one year old at that point. But <laughs> it just it was just a, a Tom Gardner, your brother, came to the event as well, and it just. Uh, I, I love that event and I feel like we've just missed that so badly, you know, over the last uh, couple of years, that ability to connect in such a neat place with, with members coming from all over the country and all over the world and just hearing how excited they were about investing, mogul, real estate and all that. And, uh, yeah. I had so many great memories from that particular night and, uh, gosh, it feels, it just feels like ages ago now, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: It does, but it is coming back and it come it'll be back before we know it. I do trust that. And I'm I also just reminded of the fun of investing together. And in a lot of ways, anybody who listens to this or any Motley Fool podcast is investing with us because they're invest you are investing, dear listener, your time to hear us, to learn from Matt Argersinger, to have a motley parade of different topics and celebrities from one week to the next. We are investing so much time together in our podcasts, but indeed, we invest our dollars together. When you follow us into this or that investment, as many have over the years, there's great joy in doing it together. It's the opposite of a zero-sum game like poker, where someone's going to win and everybody else is going to lose. I like games too, but my favorite games are cooperative games. and The cooperative game of investing together with our members, with everybody hearing you right now, Matt, and you helping some of them guide them into something new, something we hope is profitable. I try to do that too, and we have our losers as well. But what a joy it is to share that time together. So Matt, thank you for sharing some time with us this week. Happy Thanksgiving to all Argus singers. Are you hanging out somewhere in Virginia or are you headed north to see other family members this Thanksgiving?
1: No, we are, we are singing home in the, uh, the rural hills of Middleburg, Virginia. So. Beautiful.
0: Sounds sounds delightful. I, I do know one thing. Our kids are a little older than yours at this point, but you know it's fun once you do have a child or a family, when people start to come visit you, whether it's for whatever holiday, you start to become a little bit more of a magnet for the rest of your family members. And at least for us, selfishly, it always meant we didn't have to drive long distances. Others in our family might do that to us. So keep having kids, Matt. You and Gene will end up with everybody in your extended family
1: coming to visit all the time. <laughs> Well, thank you, David. Thanks for having me back on and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: All right, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number seven, the first of two poems, original works presented on this week's podcast. Rule Breaker investing is not a stranger to your poetic creations. In fact, we've shared many of these over the years to the point that sometimes I've wondered aloud, should it be a new series, the reading of poetry inspired by this podcast? Because we have a fair amount of it building up We're about to add two more original works this week. Let me thank in advance poet number one, Lisa Wharton. And Lisa, as I've gotten to know you some over the years, I believe I know your story. I believe that you are of Chinese origin, so you are living here today in the United States of America. But I don't think English is your first language, but I'm delighted to present your work in English. It's very well done. It's a sonnet. You say it's kind of in a Robert Frost style. In fact, your note says, Dear Rule Breakers, at the end of the last year... Mr. David Gardner read my acrostic poem called Motley Fool. Now, a lot of us probably know what an acrostic poem is, but I want to make sure all of us know what an acrostic poem is. It's when you read the first letter of each line of the poem down vertically, and it spells something. It says something. So you read the first letter of each line, and if it says something, it's an acrostic. And in Lisa's case, she spelled out Motley Fool, with her poem. Well, she goes on with this mailbag item to say, I told David on Twitter that I would write a sonnet for the Motley Fool since it's changed my life for the better, but it takes time to write a sonnet. Lisa writes, finally, I'm now ready to send a modern sonnet that it's not so strict with meters and syllable counts. Sincerely, Lisa Wharton. And so Rule Breaker mailbag item number seven, a Rule Breaker sonnet. Motley Fool helps me navigate the storm. Investing could be unpredictable. It's like us navigating in a storm, in small boats, big waves, unthinkable. For small investors, waves are dangerous. Twill swallow you without too much regret with shaky hands. We lost, so outrageous. A small investor will never win. They say giant whales can move the stock market at their will. The winners take all in the end one day. The Motley Fool provides help to survive. They offer sage advice through emails. Their show, The Fool TV, has just arrived. They prove investors, no matter how small, if they are patient, they can win it all. Well, I think in particular, Lisa, your emphasis on the small investor, and that's what I am, and that's what most of us are. Unless you're an institutional investor, probably by definition, investing other people's money in large measure, you're probably just investing your own money for your own portfolio. That's what Tom Gardner was when we started. That's what David Gardner was. That's what most of our members who come to us. Yes, we do have institutional types and pros and traders out there, but the Motley Fool was really created for Main Street, for all the rest of us, not so much Wall Street, to show you, yes, you can win too. In fact, ironically, I think we've consistently proven, not just in our own actions, but in your actions, hearing back your stories, that you're doing better often than the Wall Street traders or traditional mutual funds with their big ad budgets. You and I, we don't have any ad budget, but quietly, patiently over time, in those dangerous waves you mentioned. And there are some giant whales out there and you'd think it'd be all about them, Lisa, but you are reminding us that no, it's that patience that we have that we can exhibit. Looking for excellence, that's what can help us win it all. So thank you, Lisa Warden, And on to Rule Breaker Mailbag, item number eight. This is from Adam Nelson, hero among men. Adam, the person who revolutionized the market cap game show that's why i consistently lionize him no matter what he does or says on this show or in the world at large and i want to mention adam that of course one of the pleasures of december will be the next iteration of the market cap game show thank you for your helpful suggestion to improve the game shows but this time you are of a more literary bent and rule breaker mailbag item number eight is also an original work of literature. Hi, David. I was inspired by your latest podcast to write this short poem, which embodies, Adam writes, my 2022 resolution to not sell a single share of any stock I own and thus embody my desired investment strategy of, and I quote here, bordering on sloth, end quote. Adam writes, in the spirit of your foolish namesake, here it is, and anybody who studied Shakespeare will recognize who he means by our foolish namesake, and anybody who loves Shakespeare or maybe in particular knows Hamlet probably can sense where this might be issuing from. I really think Adam's work here speaks for itself, so let's begin. To trim or not to trim, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the dips and pullbacks that lead to outrageous fortune, or to rebalance into a sea of troubled stocks, and by adding to them, to die, to die, to lose sleep no more, and by a sleep to say, We in the heartache of choosing a thousand obvious stocks that our flesh is heir to, it's a compounding devoutly to be wished. To hold perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub, for in that holding, what dreams may come? When we have not sold off this immortal business, we must give pause to respect the management that gives so long a hold. For who can bear the downgrades and price target cuts of analysts in time, time that exists in quarters only? The analysts are wrong. The proud holders must not be spoken to with contumely. The insolence of Wall Street and the spurns. Only the patient merit the worthy gains. The undiscovered stock from whose wealth no holder returns puzzles the market and makes us rather bear those ills of the bear market than to fly to other stocks we know not of and enterprises of great growth and business momentum with this regard their currents do not turn awry and we shall not feel the need to take action winners win do not trim thanks adam nelson all right eight down one to go and yes i often try to save something like the best for last each week, but there was a lot of good to talk through from the five monkeys retelling to all of Matthew Singer's answers to original works of literature and a listener story to close. But before we do that, let me just mention what's happening next week on Rule Breaker Investing. It happens about once a year. Well, once a year for sure. It's games, games, games. It is my Games, Games, Games annual holiday podcast where I'll be sharing with you five of my favorite lighter, more family-oriented games, and five of my favorite heavier, more strategy-oriented board games and card games. I generally try to look at the recent ones, those of 2021, maybe 2020 vintage, to give you some of the latest and greatest. And of course, I'm doing it right on the very first day of December next week because that still gives you a few weeks to maybe put them underneath somebody else's tree supply chain problems notwithstanding. So games, games, games coming next week. And now on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number nine. And this comes from my friend Jum. And Jum, for several years now, has written in and described herself as my biggest fan. And so let me just say after hearing your story, which I get to share back with our listener base this week, Jum, I might be your biggest fans. So thank you for sharing this. It's a wonderful note to close on. Hello, David and Rick. John writes, I hope that you and your family are doing well. It is Thanksgiving week and always a time I reflect on what and who I'm thankful for. You and The Motley Fool team are on the top of my list. First and foremost, thank you for everything that you do. You have no idea how grateful I am to have crossed paths with The Motley Fool. I also would like to tell you a little bit about my background. I realized apart from telling you that I am your, quotes, biggest fan, I've never elaborated. Well, I was born and raised in Thailand. I didn't grow up being dirt poor, but money issues did cause stress in our lives. My mom was an English teacher and my dad was a pilot in the Air Force. They both didn't make a lot of money. I'm grateful, however, for their money habits that they instilled in me. My mom hates debt of any kind. She drilled in my head to never spend more than you have. My dad always gave me a piggy bank for my birthday, and that taught me the importance of saving. I think the best lesson they gave me at an early age was budgeting. I remember mom dropping what equated to a quarter in my kindergarten uniform's pocket each day, and if I returned with it, we'd put it In a piggy bank. I had a weekly allowance to spend at leisure on things rather than just school projects. This rule was very strict by default because every time I asked them for extra money, they simply didn't have more to give. I hated seeing pain and frustration in their eyes, so I learned to stay in my budget. Looking back, I think seeing my parents struggle with money has helped drive me to become financially independent. I moved to the U.S. when I was 24 after getting married. Having to reinvent myself in a new land, I went back to school and became a registered nurse. I graduated in 2007 and entered the U.S. workforce in 2008. I have to thank my ex-husband who taught me the concept of saving for retirement. Quick insertion here, thanking during this week of Thanksgiving, one's ex. I think that's above and beyond. Jum continues, each year, I saved up to the maximum yearly contribution limit in my 403B plan. And as I told my story in a previous correspondence in 2015, my interest in investing became real. That's when I came across the infamous Motley Fool 20-minute sales advertisement. (laughs) Ha ha, she writes. And I should just point out parenthetically, many of you may know this, but one of our more successful ads It was always surprising to me, and I'm certainly not entirely proud of it, but it would be an ongoing 20-minute long audio PowerPoint that was talking you through an important new trend or technology, something we were excited by. And it was a bit of a teaser in that there was going to be a stock that you discovered at the end. And indeed, you did discover the stock when you dropped your email to us after listening to us blather on for 20 minutes. I mean, blather on in the best sense of the term, because that was good work. And those are good stocks as you're about to hear. But I understand why it wasn't the most popular form of advertising for some people who spend a lot of time. So that's why Jum says the infamous 20 minute sales advertisement. To continue on with her note, the one stock it gave me was Nvidia and the rest is history. By following Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers over time, my stagnant portfolio more than quadrupled in the last six years. This is beyond what I could have dreamed of. My GKC score is two plus, I am 45, and my sleep number is 90. I have to pause it there and briefly explain that she's telling us that she has more than 90 stocks, a ratio of the number of stocks you have to your age, which we call the Gardner-Kratzman continuum with great fondness, slightly silly, slightly seriously. So very well diversified. If you have a GKC score of 2+, plus, that means you have twice as many stocks as your age. And her sleep number of 90, that means she's very willing to let a winner run to a huge potential part of her portfolio. Not everybody would feel that way. We've covered that this week. We're all different. Picking back up on her note, I know that history is still in the making. Anything can and most likely will happen in the stock market and that could cut my portfolio in half. But like you, I'm an optimist. As long as I stick to one, save. Two, don't spend more than you earn. Three, have an emergency fund. Four, only invest the money you don't need in three to five years into the stock market. Five, buy and hold great company stocks. And six, continue to listen to David. LOL. She writes, I should be okay. You've been the calming voice in my ears more times than you know, especially in March of 2020. That was my first so-called market crash, and I didn't panic or sell a single share. I asked myself, what would the fools say or do? And I bought more shares of my winners at a much cheaper price. Boy, that rewarded my portfolio tremendously. It's not always rosy, and I've done some serious damage sometimes to my portfolios. Picked several losers, but I'm willing to lose to win, Jum writes. One of the most terrible mistakes I did was shorting Netflix. It did not end well. I learned a great lesson from it and vowed never to short any company ever again. And I love the turn here in this note and how she closes. Jum goes on, after my first success, I see the power of investing and I've been helping others start investing for their future. All of my nieces and nephews have learned to save and invest. I have helped many of my coworkers open a brokerage account and start their own investing journey. One girl has begun picking her own stocks and recently told me that her $5,000 had grown into $35,000 in three years and she started a portfolio for her 18-month-old godson. It is an amazing feeling To be able to share the knowledge and bring as many on board so they can build their own wealth. This is why I invest. Jum writes investment, capitalism, and money for many sadly still equate to greed. But through my lens, the stock market is the best part of capitalism, and it is up to us to utilize it. It allows individuals like me to be part owners of great companies without the hassle of owning my own business. I can keep doing what I love, being a nurse, and prosper along with companies I invest in. Technology makes it so much easier and more transparent than ever. I think it's foolish with a small F to not be taking part in it. The more people invest and become financially independent, the more we can help people who are less fortunate. Being financially independent, to me, it's like I'm putting on my own oxygen mask first before the child next to me. I can proudly say now that I am financially independent at the age of 45. I could retire if I wanted to, but I love being a nurse. I get to make a real difference and be the light in someone's darkest hours. Being a nurse also has taught me how certain the uncertainty is. Seeing people at some of their worst moments and knowing lives can change in an instant Keeps me humble. Having financial stability certainly helps prepare for anything to come. So I thank you, Motley Fools, for being the oxygen mask for individual investors like myself. Also, for all the work that you and Rick put into each and every episode of the Motley Fool Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. Re listening to all this year's episodes made me realize how much work you put in producing such high quality content, Rick. I also enjoy Motley Fool Answers and your cameo, Rick, in both podcasts. Shout out to Allison and Bro. I am so thankful for your wisdom, humility, and positivity, and everything that you and your team brought and continue to bring to your members and listeners. Wishing you the best health this holiday season. Stay safe and happy Thanksgiving. Forever a Fool. Jum, our biggest fan. Well, Jum, I think you made your own fans this week. In sharing your story, you're reminding us why we invest, and that's to enable us without fear, motivated by love to do the things in this world that add value to others, that we love to do, and to do it from a powerful place. That's a place of financial strength, abundance, opportunity. I love that you were there for people in their darkest time, and I love that my pal Rick And the whole Motley Fool company, including the merry band of podcasters, enable you to be a nurse to all those around you, as well as a pretty doggone good investment teacher as well. Jum, happy Thanksgiving to you, ma'am, and to everybody else. Fool on.
1: As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.